You can turn in your Bibles to Psalm 123. And we will also be, uh, if you don't have one of those fancy electronic devices and you have an old school actual Bible, uh, we'll be looking at Hebrews chapter 12 as well. So you can stick a bookmark there. Uh, a, little, a little ways in, we'll be making that transition. So if you are on your phone, I'll have you swipe over or point over, whatever you want to do, uh, to Hebrews chapter 12. And if you're just visiting with us, we've been going through the Psalms this summer, and we have been asking three specific questions. We've been asking first the question, why do we need the Psalms? And the answer that we've given over and over to why do we need the Psalms is because the Psalms are the songbook for God's people. The Psalms give us language in the storms of life, right? The Psalms give us language as we go through trials and temptations, as we go through joys, as we go through the, the high points and the low points. The Psalms kind of give us that full range of language, of expression, that we can come before God, that we can praise Him, that we can pour out our hearts to Him, that we can ask difficult questions about why things might be happening. So just in general, as Christians, that's why we need the Psalms, because we have that full range of experience in our lives, and the Psalms give us language for that. And then we've asked the question, why do we need the Psalms now, right? Why do we need the Psalms right here, right now, in the summer of 2020, in the midst of COVID, in the midst of a crazy election cycle? Why do we need the Psalms? And I don't think I have to try very hard here to make an argument that we need the Psalms, right? I think most of us, as we look at what's going on around us, and as we look at the things we've been talking about this summer in the Psalms, I think most of us would agree that we really need the Psalms right now, don't we? We need God's words. We need this language. We need these experiences of God's ancient people to help us see how we can endure, how we can go through the, the trials and tribulations that we're experiencing, that the world around us is experiencing. So pretty clear that we need the Psalms right now. And then the last question we've asked is, why do we need this particular Psalm? So why do we need Psalm 23 right now? And for that, it'll be helpful to look a little bit at the context of kind of where we've been and at Psalm 123 in particular. We have been looking at different types of psalms. We looked at hymns. We looked at thanksgiving psalms. We've looked at psalms of lament. We just finished uh, looking at divine kingship psalms the past couple weeks. And this wasn't part of our original plan, but we decided to add in here for this week and next week two psalms of anticipation looking forward, anticipating what is to come, anticipating something that we are looking forward to. So when we look at the title of the message here, where are our eyes? That is a question about anticipation. What are we looking for? What are we looking towards? So as we talked about, well, where are we going to, where are we going to get a couple Psalms of anticipation? The most obvious place to go to was to the Psalms of Ascent or the Songs of Ascent. If you look at the title in your Bible there of, above uh, these, these Psalms, it'll say a Song of Ascent. Psalm 120 to 134, there are 15 Psalms. They were probably written uh, at different points. Some of them are attributed to David. One of them is attributed to Solomon. Some of them are anonymous. These 
Psalms were written individually, but they were at one point put together collectively for God's people to sing. And most Bible scholars think that the Songs of Ascent were songs that were sung every year as the people journeyed on a pilgrimage up to Jerusalem. So you're going to see this language of of looking to Jerusalem, of looking to Mount Zion, of anticipation, of, of being surrounded by enemies. So as you read through the Songs of Ascent, you see all of those themes coming out. And throughout all of that, there is this idea of anticipation, of looking to the Lord, of waiting upon the Lord. And again, I would encourage you to read through uh, those psalms and you will see those themes. So let's go to Psalm 123 here. Please pay attention to the reading of God's holy word. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, like the psalmist here, we ask that you would help us to lift up our eyes, to look to you this morning as we come to your word, God, that we would look to you, that we would see you in all your glory, enthroned in the heavens, Lord, that we would cry out for your mercy. God, in the midst of the storms of life, in the midst of the challenges that we face individually, that our nation faces, that this world is facing in many ways, Lord, we ask that you would have mercy. God, that you would be gracious. We pray specifically for your church. God, that your church would be continually built up and established. That your people would continually look to you. That you would strengthen us as we do that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Psalm 123 is not a very long psalm, as you see. It's only four verses, and if you look at the structure there, there's probably a a divide between verses 2 and 3, so it's pretty easy to break it down, pretty easy to kind of see how things flow together here. And I'm actually going to do it in reverse order. I'm going to look at verses 3 and 4 first, and then verses 1 and 2, because Looking at verses 3 and 4, we see what the problem is, right? We see why the, pro- why the psalmist is crying out to the Lord in the first place. We see the situation and the context for that. Now, we don't exactly know. Uh, this, this is not attributed to anyone. Uh, this is an anonymous psalm, so we don't know the exact situation that prompted this. But again, if we read our Bibles, if we read the Old Testament, it's pretty clear uh, to see these types of things going on. And the psalmist starts out, have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, which is what we sang earlier, as James mentioned, the Kyrie eleison. There's this cry for God to have mercy upon his people. And if you've heard someone talk about maybe the difference between mercy and grace, uh, that mercy is God not giving us what we deserve, and grace is God giving us what we don't deserve, uh, that's a helpful 
analysis if we want to really get into the minutiae and break things down. But actually in the Hebrew, there's not really that distinction. Uh, this word here that's translated as mercy, it's also translated as grace. In the Old Testament, it's translated as favor and compassion. This is really kind of an all-encompassing idea that God would just be gracious and merciful and, and compassionate and generous to his people. So this is this is not just a, a, a narrow view of mercy, which again is a is a helpful to dis, to make those distinctions. But this is kind of an all encompassing, like God, we need you to to rescue us totally in all these ways and give us all of these things that that we don't deserve or deal with us well when these things are happening. And the things that are happening are that they have had they're experiencing contempt, right? He says we have had more than enough of contempt. And then it says in verse four, our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease of the contempt of the proud. And this language here is really interesting where it's translated more than enough. It's actually the, it's the negative of the word to be filled, like to be filled with, with bread, to be filled and satisfied from eating. So the psalmist here is actually saying like, we've had so much contempt. We're like, we're like filled to the brim, negatively speaking, with all these things that are coming at us. So, you know, if you read through the Psalms and, you know, our souls are satisfied in the Lord, that would be the positive element of this. And he's saying negatively that that's what they're experiencing. They're, they're so filled with all of this contempt and scorn from the enemies. And he points out what those enemies are like. It's those who are at ease and those who are proud. And again, if you just read through the Old Testament, you see this constant contempt that the nations around Israel have toward them and that that they have toward the Lord. And so here the psalmist is is crying out for deliverance for God's people, that, that God would come and have mercy upon them in light of the way that they are being treated. Let's go back up to the first two verses. It's interesting here that the psalmist starts out speaking in the first person. To you, I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. So he's speaking individually, and we've seen this in a couple other psalms. The psalmist comes before the Lord and speaks to the Lord as the worship leader of God's people. And then he calls for the people to engage in in worship of the Lord as well. So the psalmist comes and he says that I lift up my eyes to the Lord, the one who is enthroned in the heavens. And if you flip back two psalms to Psalm 121, which we looked at last summer, uh, you'll see some similar language in the beginning of Psalm 121. It says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And if you remember, we, we talked about in this psalm, Psalm 121, lifting up my eyes to the hills. This could be Language that's speaking about looking to the hills and the dangers that are in the hills, the bandits and the robbers, people that are hiding in the hills, waiting to attack God's people as they're journeying to Jerusalem. That's one way that it could be looked at. Another, other people think maybe it's actually speaking about looking up and seeing the temple, looking to the place where God is, is enthroned and where he's physically, not actually physically, but represented on earth, right? That's the place where God dwells and where his glory dwells. So the language here, where does my help come from? It, it comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So it's this both looking on this plane, right? But also looking 
above this plane and saying God is the maker. He's the creator of all these things. And we see that here in Psalm 123. We're looking to God who is enthroned in the heavens. And this ties very nicely in with our divine kingship psalms. We're looking to God as the king, the one who is seated on his throne. This word enthroned here means to dwell or to sit. So God is, is seated. He's, he's enthroned. He's dwelling in the heavens. So there is a, an acknowledgement there. But then after the psalmist gives this acknowledgement and this first person kind of idea here of what he's doing, he actually turns then to the people and he makes this plea on behalf of the people. And he uses this simile here. He says in verse two, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid servant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Now this imagery here of looking, a servant looking to the hand of the master, I think there's probably a twofold idea here. The first one is that idea of protection, right? The, the master is the person who protects the servant. That hand imagery is one of, of strength, of protection, of, of surrounding, right? Putting his, the servant, the master putting the hands around the servants and protecting them. And the other one then is of provision, right? The master holding out the things that the servant needs to live and giving, offering those things graciously from his hand to the servant. So this, the master to the servant, the mistress to the maidservant, the psalmist is saying, just as those things happen on a human level, that's how we need to look to the Lord. We need to look to the Lord to be gracious and merciful to us, to provide for our needs and to protect us with his mighty hand. So he says, so our eyes look to the Lord, our God. So again, it's this kind of argument from the lesser to the greater that as much as earthly servants and earthly maidservants need to look to their masters and mistresses. So much more do we need to look to the Lord our God. So much more do, do our eyes need to be fixed on the Lord our God for that provision and protection that he alone can give us. And then there's this line right here in the end of verse two, which is so important and I think really kind of brings out the the kind of the oomph of this psalm, right? It's till he has mercy upon us. Here is the line of anticipation. Here is the, the point of saying we are hoping and we are waiting and we are going to look to the Lord until he has mercy upon us. And then there's the cry in verses three and four that God would have mercy So that is how this song would have originally been sung by the ancient Israelites. So our question that we're going to look at is, how do we sing this song similarly, and how do we sing this song differently than they did? I think we have to begin by acknowledging that we are desperate, needy sinners whose eyes need to look to the Lord alone for mercy. We are in the same boat as they were, right? We also need to answer the question that's before us, where are our eyes and what are we anticipating or what are we looking forward to? Well, today is a big day, right? NFL week one, uh, something that I would usually be very excited about, would have been anticipating for weeks, would be gearing up. Uh, I probably am going to watch the Packer game today, but I have to be honest and say I'm just not really as excited as I've been in years past. Uh, I wish I was. I wish I could get excited about it. 
partly it's because I've been predicting since like April that the NFL season wouldn't happen. So I, I didn't want to get my hopes up, but it looks like it's going to at least uh, get kicked off. But there is this, there's this thing with, with sports, right, or with events that happen on a yearly basis. Uh, we were actually supposed to go down uh, this coming weekend, uh, my birthday weekend. We were supposed to go down to my hometown for cheese days. Uh, a bunch of family was going to get together. We were going to celebrate. Cheese days got canceled because of COVID. And it's like, ah, all these things, right, that we get excited about and we anticipate. And we've been experiencing a lot of that these past several months, right, of things that we were hoping would happen that haven't been able to happen. So again, this idea of talking about Psalms of anticipation is really, really fitting right now, right? Because there's a lot of, there's a lot of anticipation that we still have, or there's been anticipation that we've had that, that has, hopes have been kind of dashed. Well, speaking of, of the NFL uh, and anticipation, I hold in my hand here something that is uh, very near and dear to my heart, uh, kind of half serious. It is the Green Bay Packer season ticket waiting list, okay? Uh, these come in the mail once a year, and this is actually from 2014. I don't know where the most recent ones are, but I just found this one in a stack of this past week, and I was like, oh, this would be fitting for talking about anticipation. Uh, I am number, as of 2014, I am number 62,652 on the season ticket waiting list for four tickets, all right? Well, I called this week because this is still my parents' address on here. I called, to, I called the ticket office to update my, uh, my address so I could get these sent to our home here. And I asked them, where am I at on the list? 57,265. So at this rate, I will get my Packers season tickets in 2083. I will be 103 years old, okay? Yeah. Now, do I have this hanging up on my wall? And am I looking at this every day in anticipation for 2083 when I finally can get my Packers season tickets? No, right? That would be completely ridiculous. Uh, my brother-in-law and I actually went, I think, in 2013 or 2014, kind of just as a joke, knowing we'd never in our lives ever get Packers season tickets. But we went and signed up anyway, so it's kind of a fun thing. But again, how did the ancient Israelites' anticipation differ from ours? And how was it similar, and how was it different? And I think for some help to this, again, Psalm 123, pretty straightforward. We kind of walked through it, right, understanding their situation. Let's go now to Hebrews chapter 12, because I think this is going to give us that comparison and, and contrast of things that we can see a little more clearly um, what the differences might be as we look at the similarities. As you're turning there to Hebrews chapter 12, I just want to give a brief kind of explanation of the context. If you are familiar with, with, the, with the Bible and, and reading the New Testament, especially the book of Hebrews, you've probably heard before, this is kind of one of those like Bible quiz things, right? The, where is the hall of faith, right? Where is that list of all those Old Testament saints who trusted in the Lord, who looked to the Lord by faith? And that's in Hebrews chapter 11. So that comes right before the passage that we're going to look at here. And we, we see in there how Abraham was seeking a homeland. He was desiring a better country. So there's this idea of the saints in the Old Testament. They were looking forward to something that was better than what they were experiencing at the time. And the, psalm, or the, the author of Hebrews ties together 
this long list of, of saints in the Old Testament with what we're going to look at in chapter 12. Thank you, James. <laughs> with uh, verse 39 and 40 in chapter 11. It says, all these, speaking of this long list that he just gave, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So it's tying together their experiences and our experiences and how God is going to, to glorify and perfect us all together as his people. So Hebrews 12, <clears throat> starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, those who were just listed in chapter 11, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, what is similar here is that we are those who also need mercy. We need the compassion and the grace and the favor of the Lord, right? Because we are a sinful people and we live among sinful people just as the ancient Israelites cried out because there was contempt of those around them. We look at that, we look at the things around us, but we also look within, right? We see the weight and the sin that clings so closely. We're, to, we're told to lay those things aside and then James spoke of this well in, in this passage to the kids. We are to run with endurance the race that is set before us. Again, I think this is fitting as we look at Psalm 123 and we look at the songs of ascent. They were on a journey. They were going to Jerusalem. This was this constant theme that going up to, to worship in Jerusalem, it's this journey that they're on. It's this sometimes dangerous journey and their need to trust the Lord. And when we see this language here of running with endurance, the race that is set before us, you know, it's kind of cliche to say that, but this race is not a sprint. It's not a hundred meter dash. It is a marathon. It's the lifelong journey of walking with Jesus and running this race. And yes, James Cademan would definitely beat you. <laughs> He smokes me all the time. So, The third similarity is looking to the one who is enthroned in the heavens. We saw that language in Psalm 123. Lifting up our eyes to the one who is enthroned in the heavens. But what do we see here in Hebrews 12, verse 2? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So here's a similarity, but also a difference. The Old Testament saints did not have a full understanding of this. They did not have a full understanding that the Messiah would be the very Son of God who would come in the flesh, who would live a perfect life, who would die in our place, who would raise from the dead, who would ascend up into heaven, and then would be seated at the right hand of God. What a full and beautiful picture we have. So when we sing Psalm 123 and we say, I lift up my eyes to you who are enthroned in the heavens, we're speaking about the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're thinking specifically about the Son of God who is seated at the right hand of the Father. That is not a revelation that they had at the time. So again, we sing that song, but we kind of look, we look further down the line, right? And we have that understanding that they did not have. The last thing is from Psalm 123. They, they talked about having, God having mercy on them because of the contempt and the scorn and the shame of those around them. 
see this here. Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Look at verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. It is okay for us to acknowledge that we experience scorn, that we experience contempt in this world as Christians, that people might despise us. But we can't stop there. We can't sit and have a pity party and say, oh, my life is so hard because my coworkers or my relatives or my neighbors or whoever don't like me because I'm a Christian. That might be true. And we probably all experience that at some at some level in our lives. But don't keep your eyes fixed there on that level. Look to Jesus. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. We need to take that suffering. We need to take those trials and we need to go to him because he understands. He has endured that hatred, that mockery, that wickedness from the world in ways that we never could. And trust me, I'm, I'm the one who like looks out and is like, oh, it's so hard, and right? It's this, like the world is against us, but I need to stop doing that, right? I need to look to Jesus and say, Jesus, you've borne this a million times more than I could ever even imagine. So why am I looking to the world? Why am I looking to my experiences when I should be looking to you? When I should be trusting you and fixing my eyes on you? And I love this. In verse 3, so verse 2, look to him. Verse 3, consider him and who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. So that, what is the so that? So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. I don't know about you all right now, but I am weary. We had our officer training on Tuesday night at James's house, and we went around and shared, and I just said to the guys, I said, guys, I'm just weary right now. There's just, there's so much going on. There's so many decisions to be made. There's so much just craziness all over the place, right? And I feel like every time I'm having a conversation with someone, it's, how's the church doing? And how are you guys surviving COVID? And my answer is always, praise God, things are great. I mean, we're all back together. There hasn't been like this big drama and division in our church, which I'm super thankful for. But I'm just tired of talking about it, right? I'm tired of like every day having to have that conversation with people. And I'm just weary. But this is the answer, right? For me and for all of us. Whatever you're going through right now, however you may be facing that weariness, stop looking to the circumstances. Stop looking to yourself and your own trials. Look to Jesus and consider him. Get your eyes off of yourself. And this is really hard, isn't it? I mean, we live in a culture that's all just me, 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 like feed myself, feed my ego, you know, I, I'm so guilty of this, right? I see something I want, boom, it's a click, five seconds, it's mine on Amazon Prime, right? It's just all like self-indulgence, feed, feed the flesh, do whatever you want to make you happy and comfortable. And as Christians, again, it's not wrong to buy things on Amazon Prime, it's not, you know, but we have to resist these urges to be all self-focused and be all about ourselves that the world constantly throws at us. So the question where are our eyes? Are they weary and faint-hearted because they're fixed on the things of this world? Or are we looking to Jesus and running with endurance the race that is set before us? 
There's not a promise in that that it's going to be easy. There's not a promise that like all the obstacles, you know, it's going to be this smooth pavement, right? Smooth sailing. There's going to be people standing there with water for you, like every 10 feet, like you have everything you need. No, there's going to be potholes. You know, there's going to be all kinds of crazy stuff happening as you're running this race with endurance. But there are only two choices. And we need to see with new eyes. We need to look with new eyes. And the promise of the gospel, the hope that we have, is that Christ gives us new eyes to see. As Christians, we don't see the world the way we used to see the world. We see the world with new eyes. Back in 2011, uh, I had LASIK surgery. And I had really bad eyes. I couldn't drive uh, without my glasses or contacts. And I had LASIK surgery. I had it done in China, which was kind of interesting. Um, it was a great experience. Uh, everything went well. It's been like almost 10 years, and I still have my eyes, so that's good. But for me, that was like a life-transforming thing of getting up every day and not being able to see, right? Everything being blurry, and then all of a sudden feeling like I have new eyes. I can see, and I don't need this external aid to help me to see. Now, I might need reading glasses at some point down the road, right? It wasn't a 100% permanent fix. And I think that's a great analogy of our Christian lives, right? When we trust Christ, we get new eyes. And we see clearly what we couldn't see clearly before. But in this life, it doesn't mean that we won't ever be weary, right? It doesn't mean that we ever, won't ever maybe need to put on some reading glasses because we're getting older and things are getting, getting harder, right? Those challenges still come. But that fact, that reality that we have been given new eyes as Christians, and we need to see the world. We need to run this race with those new eyes, and we need to fix those new eyes on Christ. So if you're not a Christian and you don't have those new eyes you can't, under, you can't make sense of the world. You can look at the world and see the same thing that everyone else sees when they look at the world. But there's, a, there's an element of getting those new eyes and seeing things clearly for the first time that you weren't able to see before. And you might be a weary Christian. You might be someone whose vision has maybe gotten a little blurry. Even though you have those new eyes, maybe you need to you know, you need to put on those reading glasses, right? You need, to, you need to do that extra work to seek the Lord, to fix your eyes upon him, to continually cry out that God would renew you, that he would, he would strengthen those eyes so that you can see clearly, so that you can run that race with endurance. And maybe you're in a place right now where things are going well and you're running that race with endurance and you feel like things are great. Praise God! We shouldn't be out just like, oh, being a Christian, so hard. I just, my life stinks, right? There are, there are seasons of our lives where things are hard, right? And there are also seasons of our lives where there is great joy and there is great rejoicing for what God is doing. So praise God. But we need to recognize that that's part of that race, right? That's part of that running with endurance. There's going to be hard times. There's going to be, there's going to be great times. So our encouragement as God's people is to fix our eyes on Christ. Again, it doesn't mean you don't follow the things that are going on in the world. It's good to be informed. I like being informed. But at the end of the day, when you lay your head on your pillow, where 
and metaphorically speaking, where are your eyes, right? What's going through your mind? What are the things you're dwelling on? What are the things you're, you're hoping in? What are the things you're looking forward to and anticipating, right? We all have things. I'm about to turn 40 this week. I'm really excited about my 40s. Like, I'm not excited about everything that's going on. I'm not excited about, like, the rest of 2020. But I'm excited about, hopefully, Lord willing, living through my whole 40s and having a, a great decade of, of growing in my Christian life and, and seeking the Lord together with all of you. That's, we should be anticipating those things, right? We should be excited about the future. We shouldn't just, like, be, oh, life is so hard and I just can't even, like, you know, think about the next couple years or whatever. No, let's, let's trust the Lord together. Let's seek the Lord. Let's trust him for exciting things. And we do that together as we fix our eyes on him and as we look to him. So brothers and sisters, that is my encouragement uh, to you this morning to fix your eyes upon the Lord, to look to him, uh, the one who is your protector and your provider. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these reminders from your word of how your people throughout the centuries have looked to you, how we have these songs, how we have this language uh, to go before you, God, to sing uh, collectively to you, to cry out to you, to ask you to have mercy upon us. And Lord, we ask that as we, as we do that together, uh, God, that you would continue to show your faithfulness, you, you will continue to show your mercy and grace to us as we seek you. Father, send us out from here uh, to, to fix our eyes continually on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we would look to him, that we would run the race uh, that is set before us, knowing that he has gone before us, that he is with us, that he gives us strength for the journey. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.